It's good to be back. I was not here last week. I was away. Uh, but I heard that you guys had fun without me, so that's good. Is that true? Do you have fun? It's church is fun, isn't it, right? So that's good. I was happy for you. Uh, I had fun. I was on vacation. I golfed a lot. Shocking. Did some other stuff. I didn't only golf. I did lots of other things, but it was really good. And then I laughed. So one of the things that happens sometimes in my line of work is you take vacation, you come back from vacation, and the timing works out just so that if you're scheduled to preach the following Sunday, sometimes it works out that you come in onto, let's say, like a lighter text, you know? All the scripture is good, but something light. Like you come into like a John 3.16 and God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It's like, okay, I could like slide into that and talk about that after vacation, like no problem. And then there are other times, such as this week, that the way the timing works out, you take vacation, you come back, you're scheduled to preach, and we're in a chapter like Daniel chapter 7, which is where we are today. See, some of you laughed, some of you didn't. The ones who didn't, you've never read Daniel chapter 7 before, I don't think. I got back to work on Tuesday this past week, and I open up my computer, and I pull up the sermon document, I start reading the text, and I went, I had palpitations of some kind, right? I tease. It is quite an intense text. If you've never read it before, it's going to blow us up today, just saying. It's big. But it's super important, really, really, really critical for us to know and to to apply and to take to heart what's in Daniel chapter 7. So rather than me just preamble about it, why don't you go ahead and open your Bible to Daniel chapter 7. What a great idea that is. Now, we have been going through the book of Daniel for the last six weeks, verse by verse. I would encourage you, if you've missed any time, go back and get caught up. All the messages are online. If you need help getting connected, come see me later. No problem. We'll fix you up there for sure. Now, one of the things that we see is in the first six chapters of Daniel, the first half of the book, it largely is about the life and times of Daniel and his friends. Here's who they were. Here's where they were. Here's what happened. Here's how God showed up. Awesome. And, and it's been great. But the second half of the book, starting at chapter 7, it takes on a whole other way about it. It is largely, rather than looking back at the story that was, chapter 7 through 12, look ahead to the story that will be. It's a lot of prophecy in the back half of Daniel. Somebody say prophecy for me. Prophecy being God's declared will. He says, this is how it's going to be. This is how it is in my will. And a lot of times with prophecy, it hadn't happened yet, right? God says this is what's going to happen in the future. Well, that's what we see in the book of Daniel. There's some world history prophecy in Daniel, which is cool because I'm a history nerd. It works for me. There's other prophecies. There's end times prophecy in Daniel 7 and other chapters in the back half of Daniel. I told you, he's going to light us up with it. Strap in. Now, some of you guys are well-versed in Bible prophecy stuff, right? You've studied it. You know what it says. uh, You've heard sermons about it. You've done maybe uh, lectures or classes or research about it, and that's great, wonderful. Some of you guys aren't as well-versed in the Bible prophecy stuff. 
Honestly, if you were being really honest, some of you might say, it kind of freaks me out a little bit and I don't like to read it. Some of you are living in the here and now in the moment. Okay, that's fine. I respect that. You need to do that. But I want to just give three quick encouragements about Bible prophecy before we even get into Daniel 7, just so we can get onto the same mindset and the same wavelength about this. Bible prophecy, the first thing you need to know is this. Biblical prophecy is important. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's important. It's important. You need to know that when the Bible was written, about 25% of it was prophetic at the time of its writing. Some scholars actually estimate it was more, maybe more like 30%. But let's even take the lower number and say 25%. You realize that's like one in four verses. One in four verses at the time they were written were prophetic. They were talking about something that hadn't happened yet. That is way too big a number for us to just blow over. Oh, prophecy's not that important. No, that's, that's one in every four, okay? Significant. So we gotta pay attention to it. Now, some Bible prophecy has been fulfilled since the time of its writing. For instance, maybe something got prophesied about in the Psalms that were written in like 1000 BC, and then when Jesus came along in the 30s AD, fulfilled them. That's wonderful. And when we look at biblical prophecy that's already been fulfilled, it's encouraging. It's super cool. It strengthens our faith, and it gives us even more confidence into how amazing and valid and accurate this word is, right? When you look at stuff that was prophesied, you know, decades or hundreds or sometimes even thousands of years before, and then it comes to pass exactly the way that God said it would, man, all we can do in response to that is go, wow, that's super cool. That's amazing. That's, that's a wow God kind of thing, right? Some Bible prophecy has not yet been fulfilled even in our day. Some things that were written down hundreds, thousands of years ago still haven't come to pass. And these things are equally important because you need to know what's coming down the road. Just logical, right? I remember having a conversation a couple of years ago with somebody. Uh, it was actually Peter who's in our sound booth and he'll probably cut my mic off for telling a story about him. Uh, but it's okay. Uh, we were talking a couple of years ago and he said, hey, have you been on the west side you know, the corner, like uh, um, Fairville Boulevard comes this way and Catherwood Street is like this and Burger King's here and Kent is here and Lawton's Drugs and then Lancaster Mall. You know what I'm talking about right there? He said, if you come down the hill and you turn left to go toward the highway, there's a huge pothole. And I said, come on, like we all know potholes. How big could it really be? And he said, no, really, it's huge, massive. Like even for us as New Brunswickers who are totally immune and don't get excited about potholes, he said, it's big. He said, this week I've seen two people hit that and bust their rims and blow their tires out. Two people in one week. And I said, okay, like sure. I said, I'll pay attention to that the next time I'm over there. And so a little while later, I was over there and I was coming down the hill and it registered in my brain. I said, oh, right. Peter told me there's a pothole up here. I better watch for it because I don't want to like lose my car in it, right? So down the hill I come. I'm now prepared for what's coming. I'm looking for it. And sure enough, there it is. I can see the sign of it as I get closer to it. And so as a result of having the foreknowledge about it, I can act accordingly. And I drove around the pothole and I'm here to testify today that I didn't lose my car or myself in the pothole. And it's since been fixed. I don't think it's there anymore, but it was huge. He was not exaggerating. That thing was deep. Like that's like, that's like a bottomless pit. Anyway, okay, maybe a silly example, but the principle is there. 
That's part of the reason prophecy is in the Bible because when you start to see the signs of it and as it gets closer, you can recognize and say, oh, right, I need to, I need to accommodate for that in my life. You see, the way that you live now changes when you know what's coming ahead. You don't live today the same way if you know what's happening tomorrow. So that's why biblical prophecy is so important and it shapes our worldview, right? God says, here's how things are going to go. Hint, it goes pretty okay for us in the end as Christians, just saying, we'll get to that. And that gives us hope because as we've already discussed this morning, the world has a definite lack of hope in it right now. Things are pretty dark and pretty bleak out there, let's be honest. If you disagree, I don't know where you live at, but I wanna come live where you live, okay? It's not looking real good. It's not real easy to look around in the things of the world and find any hope right now. But we can have hope because, well, we're gonna get to it. God is in control. God has this all in his mind ahead of time. It's gonna be all right. But I don't wanna, spoiler alert, right? We'll get to that, okay. So biblical prophecy is important. We don't want to be over on the pendulum so far that, well, I never think of that. I never study it. I never read it. I don't consider it. No, you need to. The second thing, though, is this. We also don't obsess over biblical prophecy, right? That's the other extreme. And I don't mean to sound wrong about this. Might offend somebody. You're probably used to that by now, so it's okay. I have seen people, in my estimation, my humble opinion, who swing way over to this side of the pendulum, and all they do all day is watch YouTube videos and, and speculate, and they have charts and maps and timelines drawn out, and all they do for 10 hours a day is just sit and watch videos about the end times wearing a tinfoil hat. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay, there's absolutely, hear me, there's absolutely nothing wrong with doing the research, being interested in it, acquainting yourself, familiarizing yourself. That's not what I'm talking about, though. I'm talking about an obsession over it. Because I've seen people, again, in my estimation, who are so obsessed with just studying and contemplating and musing over what's going to happen tomorrow. You know what they forget to do? They forget to live today. God doesn't just have a life for you in the future. God has a life for you today. God has things for you to do today. God has good works for you to do today. God has people for you to minister to today. So we need to take a balanced approach and end up somewhere in the middle there. And the third thing about prophecy is this. The point of biblical prophecy is not to create endless speculation. Right? We can speculate about some things about Bible prophecy are very clear. Here's what's going to happen. Boom, boom, boom. Not really a lot of speculating. Some things are less clear. For instance, like, when is Jesus coming back? Well, we don't know. And if you meet someone that says they know, they don't know, just so you know. Nobody knows. I always find it hilarious. People through the years, this is not part of my sermon, people through the years who like, guys, I figured it out. It's like, oh, grab the popcorn. This is gonna be good. And then the date that they predict, the end of the world is gonna come. It comes and it goes. The world doesn't end. They look like idiots. And we just kind of laugh at them. It's okay. In a Christian way, we laugh at them. I don't know. Maybe that's something I need to change. I'm not sure. But I just love that. I love when that happens. Anyway, again, yes to study. Yes to being interested. Yes to doing the research. But there are things about Bible prophecy that you won't understand in its complete, accurate detail of here's exactly how it's going to look and how it's going to feel and whatever. But that isn't the main point of prophecy anyway. The main point of biblical prophecy is to prepare your heart. So for instance, take, take the example I said about, well, when's Jesus coming back? That's not the right question. The right question is, hey, Jesus is coming back. Are you ready for when he comes back? 
That's what biblical prophecy is trying to get us towards. So there's just a few things uh, to, to prime the pump here. Now I want us to read Daniel 7, okay? I'm just going to read it. I won't even, I just, let's just read it. I'm going to read the whole chapter to you, okay? Here it goes. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, we already talked about him in chapter 5, so this is like rewinding to an earlier part in Daniel's life. Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. And he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then I looked, as I looked, its wings were plucked off. It was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. Somebody's like, you lost me already. I got like 25 verses left, so don't even worry. And behold, another beast, a second one like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. I'm just, I'm picturing what you're thinking right now, and it's hilarious. As I looked, thrones were placed... And the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were open. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed, its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I can't imagine why, right? Can't imagine why. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all of this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, the teeth of iron, the claws of bronze, devoured and broken pieces, stamped what was left with its feet, the ten horns on its head, and the other horn that came up, and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes, and a mouth that spoke great things and seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came, 
and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which shall be different from all the other kingdoms. It shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings." He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominion shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. We probably don't even need to explain any of that. Let's just wrap up, right? If you hear that and you say, what in the Jiminy Crickets did I just read? It's okay. It's all right. We're going to unpack it and explain this. But it's supposed to have a little bit of a shock factor to it. You're supposed to read that, honestly, and not understand it at first. You got to go back to the well a few times, maybe a few dozen times. So let's just pick through this together. Um, It'll be fun. Oh, good night. Here's what we know. This whole dream, it says that this whole dream that Daniel has is about kings and kingdoms of the earth. I'm going to read you what it said in verse 17. It says, these four great beasts are four kings that shall arise out of the earth. See where I got that from? Like right in there how it says that, just like that. That's what this whole dream is about. And if you've been following along in our series in Daniel and you've been paying attention, you'll realize this sounds quite familiar to what we read in Daniel chapter 2. If you can remember however many weeks ago that was, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had a dream in Daniel chapter 2. And in this dream, it was this great image, and the image had sort of four parts to it, and those four parts represented four earthly kingdoms. Well, here it is again, the same imagery, or different imagery is used, but the same uh, kingdoms are talked about. In this, it talks about beast. It says, the first beast, I'll read it to you, in verse 4, it was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Its wings were plucked off. It was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. Now, that, again, is talking about an earthly kingdom, and the kingdom it's talking about is the kingdom of Babylon. Somebody say Babylon. Babylon. Right? We've studied all of this before, and the thing in there about the eagle's wings and they were plucked off, but, uh, and they were made to stand on two feet like a man. That's a reference back to Daniel chapter 4. If you remember, Nebuchadnezzar, who was the proud king of this great Babylon, they were the world superpower of the day in the 500s BC. He basically went insane, lost his mind, and after a while, God restored him. That's what that's talking about. So this was a prophecy that took place in Daniel's lifetime. That's the kingdom of Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. The second beast in verse five, I'll read that for you here. Another beast, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side, had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, arise, devour much flesh. Now that's talking about, again, another, a different earthly kingdom, and it's talking about the kingdom of Medo-Persia. Somebody say Medo-Persia. It's kind of... You say that a few times and it just sounds really weird in your head, but anyway. 
the Medo-Persian Empire, if you look at the historical timeline of history, you can go do the research on this yourself. After the superpower of Babylon uh, was dismantled, well, it was dismantled by these guys. The Medo-Persian Empire took over, and they became the world's superpower in about 539 B.C., and their empire lasted a couple of hundred years. And the things that are talked about in here, first of all, it says it was like a bear. Bears are kind of fierce, unless maybe you get them in the wintertime and they're asleep. I don't know. Don't cross a bear. That's not the point. Don't do it. But it says it was raised up on one side. That's a reference to, see how that's Medo-Persia? That was two different kingdoms that came together to form one empire, and then they started taking over and dominating. But the Persian side of things, they were more dominant in that relationship. That's what it means about how this bear was uneven. This kingdom was uneven. And it was told, devour much flesh. Well, the the Medo-Persian empire swept through much of the known world and and took uh, territory by military conquest. That is what he was talking talking about here. Now, the prophecy here made about the Medo-Persians, that happened just after Daniel prophesied this. This was in about 539 BC and for a couple of hundred years, Uh, but it happened later during Daniel's life. Now, the third beast, the plot thickens. The third beast in verse 6 was like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. Can you picture that? Because I cannot. You know what I'm saying? I see one of those in the woods somewhere, like I'm out. I'm done. That's it. And I can run fast, but I can't run faster than that thing, okay? This leopard with the wings of a bird, this is, again, representing another kingdom. You can see it there, the Greek Empire. Somebody say the Greek Empire. So they came around, and they became the world's superpower in about 330 B.C., under the helm of the leadership of Alexander the Great, if you've ever heard of him. Again, you can do the the history, the research on that yourself. When it says here that this beast will have dominion, that's like authority, governance, rulership, the Greek empire, good land. As fast as a leopard with wings could go, it quickly swept across literally the entire known world at the time. And they dominated. They took territory. They won battles. Alexander the Great was one of the great military leaders in world history. That's what this is talking about. And something cool about this too, see how it says this beast had four heads? You're gonna like this, this is cool. You know how it goes when, especially in ancient times, there would be a king ruling over a kingdom, that king would die, he would pass the kingdom on to a son if he had one usually, right? Right? Alexander the Great, when he died, he was only about 32 or 33, he died with no heir. Well, who does the kingdom pass on to? He passed it on to a few of his generals. Guess how many generals he passed it on to? Four. There it is. This was prophesied a couple hundred years before this ever took place. It happened after Daniel's lifetime. That's God for you. And then we get to the fourth beast. And this is where the main emphasis is on in this text. This fourth beast, uh, verse 7 and 8. I'll read it to you here again. Uh, It says... It was terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong, great iron teeth. It broke in pieces and devoured and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts before it. It had 10 horns, and then the little horn comes up out of that. We'll talk about that in a minute. This fourth beast represents another kingdom. It is, somebody say it up top, what is it? The Roman Empire. For as great and as vast and as superior as these other three kingdoms were, they were nothing compared to the Roman Empire. These guys, most of these other kingdoms lasted for like 
100 years, 200 years, 250 maybe if they were lucky. The Roman Empire was so vast, it was so advanced, it was so strong, it lasted in various forms for more than 1,500 years. Crazy. They were far vastly superior. You've got Roman law, you've got Roman infrastructure. They're still digging stuff up in that part of the world of, of the things that the Romans built and how amazing and incredible they were. And they were ruthless. They took territory. You didn't just make peace with the Romans. They insisted, they made peace for you. Let me just put it that way. You will listen to them. You will follow them because they were unstoppable. That's what this kingdom is talking about here. Again, they came into power long after Daniel lived and died. That's prophecy of a future thing after his lifetime. Now, if we stopped there, what we would have is what I think is a pretty cool survey of a few kingdoms in world history that have now come and gone. All of those kingdoms have come and gone. And we, in this position in history where we are, we look back on all of those. And it's kind of neat, and the history's there. It's really cool. However, there's a shift that happens here. Yes, this is talking about the Roman Empire that was, that used to be, but this text also begins talking about a kingdom that is not yet, but is going to be. And it's compared to this Roman Empire, this fourth piece. Look, I'll prove it to you. There's a double meaning here. Verse 21 and 22, it says that this kingdom is going to be in power until, watch this, verse 21, it made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Oh, I've even got them underlined. That would have been way easier for me to just look at them. Okay, so those things that are underlined right there, these are things that have not yet happened even in 2023, right? Jesus came for the first time in his incarnation, his first coming. But when it talks in verse 22 about him coming, that's talking about his second coming. Has the second coming of Christ happened yet? No. And judgment was given. Has the day of judgment happened yet? No. Have the saints possessed the kingdom yet? I sure hope not. <laughs> if so, like I want to redraw, right? redraft. This is future stuff. And this is saying that this fourth beast, this fourth kingdom is going to be in power when all of that stuff happens in the end. I'm just telling you, I'm delivering the mail. I'm delivering your newspaper today. Here it is. Okay. This is talking about a king and a kingdom that will be in power when Jesus comes back in the end. So now you ask, well, what will this kingdom, this future earthly kingdom look like? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm going to tell you. Again, it's connected to the Roman Empire, the fourth beast. It's looking at the Roman Empire that was and this future kingdom that is. Some people believe that in the end times, there will literally be a, a literal reconstitution and reconstruction of the Roman Empire. Some people say this is more figurative. In any case, here's what this kingdom is going to look like. Number one, it's going to be different. It's going to be different. See this right here? There'll be a fourth kingdom on the earth which shall be different from all the other kingdoms. This fourth earthly kingdom, this end times kingdom, it's going to be unlike anything we've ever seen. I'm just telling you. Just saying. Number two, it's going to be powerful. Look at these verses on the screen here. 
This beast is terrifying and dreadful, exceedingly strong, great iron teeth. Iron represents conquest and strength in battle. It devoured and broken pieces, stamped what was left with its feet. Here in verse 19, again, it's exceedingly terrifying, not just a little terrifying, exceedingly. Teeth of iron, claws of bronze, devoured broken pieces, stamped what was left with its feet. And I think there's one more scripture about this one. If you go to the next slide, please. It shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. That's what this kingdom is going to do. Powerful. Just like the ancient Roman Empire was powerful, so too will this future kingdom be powerful. You staying with me so far? We got a long way to go, so keep holding on. It's all right. The third thing, this future end times earthly kingdom is going to be global. See right here? It shall devour how much of the earth? The whole earth. Right? Not just some other place. Not just the eastern seaboard, like the whole earth. It's going to be everywhere. The Roman, the ancient Roman kingdom was like that. It took over basically the entire known world at the time. We're going to see uh, uh, reminiscent of that with this end times kingdom. And finally, it's going to be some sort of a coalition, number four, of ten kings and kingdoms and nations. That's what these ten horns represent on this beast. Out of this kingdom, ten kings shall arise. And some people look at that and they say, oh, well, that's going to be one king after another, after another, after another, after another. Maybe. A lot of people think, though, these kings are going to join together at the same time to create this kingdom, to create this nation. In any case, that's what the kingdom is going to look like. Then we get to the stuff about the, the little horn that we read about. It's like a little bit significant, okay? The little horn, what this is talking about is out of these 10 kings, you know what, let's read this. Great idea, Braden. I considered the horns, the 10 of them, these 10 kings, and behold, there came up among them another horn, another king, another ruler, a little one before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. Behold, in this horn, were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. This little horn, we're given a clue as to who and what that is talking about in our text. And I'm going to tell you, the little horn that's referenced in Daniel chapter 7, that's a reference to the Antichrist. We're going there. Welcome to church, right? Yes, we believe in the Antichrist. You say, what's wrong with you guys? I don't know, but not that. We're right on this one, okay? We believe. <laughs> I love you. That was insulting. Okay. See, this is the Antichrist. See, first of all, here's what you need to know. The Antichrist, this is something that you see all over the place, especially in the New Testament. It's talking about a singular figure in history. It's one person. Even here in this text in Daniel 7, it's called he, 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 all over. Uh, it's talked about in 2 Thessalonians, I believe. He's called the man of lawlessness. And essentially the whole thing with him is he's going to rise up and he's going to cause a lot of trouble and be anti against Christ, Jesus. That's, that's the high level of it. And what the Antichrist does here is he takes this earthly kingdom with these 10 kings. He takes this kingdom that otherwise looks just like an earthly concerned with politics and economics, you know, kingdomy things. He rises up in it and he turns it into a war against God. I'm just telling you. It says that he's little, right? In verse eight, we read that, the little horn. In other words, he's gonna start out like not very much. He's gonna come in under the radar. 
And he's going to make his way through the ranks. This little horn, this Antichrist is going to be boastful, it says in verse 8 and 20. And he's going to put down three kings, it says in verse 8 and verse 24. He's rising through the ranks. Now, oh, I, I love you guys. I see your faces right now. I wish that there was a big mirror up here. <laughs> Hilarious. Okay, now, you can see it on the screen there. Okay, Braden, you're telling me there's an Antichrist and he's coming near the end. What's he going to do? Look at this verse right here. He shall speak words against the Most High. That's God. He shall wear out the saints. That's believers of the Most High. He shall think to change the times and the law. They shall be given into his hand for time, for a time, times, and half a time. That's a tongue twister there. Now, the Antichrist is going to speak against the Most High. So remember, this is talking about the ruler of like a literal earthly government. It's going to speak, and this government is global throughout the whole world. In these days, the rhetoric coming from the government is going to be incredibly anti-God. You think you've seen it now? You haven't seen anything yet. It's going to be way, way more overtly anti-Jesus in those days. Uh, it says that this Antichrist will seek to change the times and the law. These are things that God has established, God's law. And, and God set the planets in motion and seasons and the moon comes up and goes down. All these things, you're going to seek to change that, things that God established. It says that the Antichrist is going to wage war on the saints and wear out the saints. Now, there's some room for some diversity of opinion and, and conviction in this one. Some people think, well, is this going to happen during our lifetime? Some people say definitely. Some people say definitely not. Some people say, I don't know. There's room for uh, some diversity there. Some people say, well, the, the church, God's people, are going to be raptured, removed from the world. So when it talks about the saints being harassed and worn out, that doesn't apply to us. Maybe that just applies to people who become Christians after we're gone. In any case, whatever your end times convictions are about this stuff, here's what we know from chapter 7. Whatever saints, believers in Jesus Christ, whatever saints are on the earth when the Antichrist rises up, they're going to be harassed and oppressed. It's not going to be pleasant. Just deliver in the mail. You're welcome. You're welcome. And this Antichrist is going to wreak havoc in the world for three and a half years. That's what it says at the end. The time, times, and half a time. A time often here refers to a year and times. It's like a couple of those and then half a time. And that lines up exactly with what it says in Revelation 12 through 14. It says this person's going to have dominion for 42 months. Guess how many years that is? Three and a half years. A time, times, and half a time. So it's a brief period, but it's going to be bad. Basically, it's going to be bad. So let me, good land, let me sum this up so far, okay? Someone's like, why? Like, why did I come this morning? It, I'm glad you're here. I love you. Now, this dream that Daniel has, this is a prophetic dream. This is a word from the Lord, and it's about earthly kingdoms. And these earthly kingdoms, looking back from our day in the here and now, these kingdoms have all come and gone, and the history's there. Awesome. It happened just like how God said it was going to do. But it shifts to this future earthly end times kingdom that has not been established yet. Now, in our day, we are seeing rumblings. We are seeing signs. Things are percolating as, as maybe if you're a coffee drinker. I don't know. You can see this developing. And here's why, okay? The Antichrist person is not yet, well, maybe they're in the world, but they're not, you know, on that position of power yet. But it says in 1 John that the spirit of Antichrist is already in the world. 
right? The spirit of lawlessness, the spirit of being against God. That's why things, and it's increasing, right? That's why things are getting worse and worse in the world. But that's not the Antichrist yet. But we're certainly trending in that direction. I'm just telling you. If you, want, if, if you wanted me to stand here and say, actually, how it's going to go is things are going to go up and to the right, and they're just from now on going to get way better for us and for everyone, I don't know. That sounds nice. That's not what the Bible says, though. So there it is. And this kingdom, this end times, earthly, anti-Christ-led kingdom is going to be a powerful global coalition, 10 kings and kingdoms and nations. And out of that kingdom will emerge the Antichrist who will wage war on God and the saints and seek to change the things that God has established. That's, you encouraged yet? (laughs) Because, exactly, here's, here's, now we're cooking. Now we're cooking, watch this. There's all that stuff, but here's what happens. The plot thickens. God shows up. God shows up. Let's read this. As I looked, as all this was going on, thrones were placed. And the Ancient of Days, that's God, he took his seat. Oh, I got goosebumps just now. Ooh. His clothing was white as snow. That represents purity and holiness. He's, he's perfect and pure and spotless and blameless. The hair of his head was like pure wool. This represents God's eternal nature. I, I say this a bit tongue-in-cheek. He'd been around long enough. His hair's all gray and white. You know what I mean? And, and it's, it's, a, it's a metaphor for his wisdom as well, right? It, it even says somewhere in Proverbs something, I forget, about how like gray hair is the crown for the aged, right? You've been around long enough to know what's what. Well, this is like all capital letters for that with God, right? His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. The wheels, motion, something's happening here. Burning fire, a stream of fire issued and came out from before him. All the fire there, that's language of judgment. God is coming. He's seated on his throne and he's bringing judgment and authority with him. You just gotta see that right away. God's activity in these end times, it's one of judgment is included in that. It says a thousand thousands served him. How many is that? Someone do the math on that. I should have done that. And 10,000 times 10,000. The calculator in my brain can't get there. I don't know. The one on your phone probably can. They stood before him. These are heavenly beings, angels or otherwise. And this is a reminder for us of who's at the center of all this, right? Who, who ought to be the center of our lives. God is being worshiped and centered around and magnified here. So it ought to be in our lives as well. Who's your center today? It's gotta be the Lord. Otherwise, you're off base. It says, and the court... Books, yeah, the court sat in judgment. There's judgment again. And the books were opened. These are books that are open. The Bible talks about how one day you're gonna stand before God and the book will be open and you'll give an account for the life that you lived. We'll talk more about this in a minute too. And it says, as I looked, oh, I looked because of the sound of the great words the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed. Its body was destroyed. It was given over to be burned with fire. So as great and as boastful and as significant as this little horn, this antichrist, this beast seems to be, God shows up and that's game over. That's it. That's it. Death and judgment. 
are awaiting this beast, this person, this antichrist. And you say, well, who, who did the deed? Who did him in? Well, I'm gonna tell you who it was. Look at verse 13. If you go to the next slide. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a... No, no, you can do better than that. A son of man. You know who that's talking about? That's talking about Jesus Christ. Jesus shows up in these end days. And Jesus himself, it says in 2 Thessalonians 2 something, 22 maybe, 2 Thessalonians 2. Too many twos in there. It says that the Lord Jesus himself will kill this beast with the breath of his mouth. He didn't even have to flex his muscles. He just does away with them. That's Jesus for you. Jesus comes, he puts down the Antichrist, he puts down the beast, and then he sets up shop on a throne. Look what it says next. It says, to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom and all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. Right? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess before Jesus. His dominion is everlasting. It shall not pass away and his kingdom shall never be destroyed. Even though this great beast shows up and he sets up his own kingdom and it looks magnificent and wonderful, it is nothing compared to the kingdom and the throne of Jesus Christ. Nothing. Less than nothing. It's zero. You're done. This is what happens. Yes, okay, clap for Jesus, please. Thank you. So here at the end of this, what you see is the rightful king sitting in the rightful place on the rightful throne. That's how the story ends. And look here, this, this whole thing in Daniel 7, this is a whole account of things being made right and set right. And I want to tell you something. That's the story of the whole Bible. That's the story of the gospel. That's the story that you and I are caught up in. Here's the storyline of the Bible. God has always existed. Always. And all was well. God then created all things. How many things? All things. I thought someone would say most things just to get a rise out of me. But that's what we have a parking lot after church for. Never mind. Rewind. God created all things and he said, it's good, it's well. Actually, then he created people and he said, it's very good. And you know what I thought of this morning? Not part of the sermon, I'm gonna say it anyway. You know, the Lord didn't say things were very good until he created the men and the women. So ladies, things weren't very good until you showed up. Bless you, right? Let that minister to you. Okay. All was well, all was good, all was right. But then sin entered the world. Through our first parents, Adam and Eve, they sinned. They rebelled against God. And that act of rebellion against God broke everything, ruined everything, tainted everything. Because trust was broken with God. Harmony was disrupted between God and man and God and his creation, broken. So yes, we still live in the world. The world is still here. The earth is still here. People are still here. But it's a shell and just a shadow of what it was supposed to be when God created it. We have all sinned. We have all rebelled against God. We have all brought this into our lives. And the Bible says the wage, the result of this is death. We have brought death into our camps because of our sin. Line starts right behind this guy, right here. All of us have this. All is not well in and of yourself. Listen here, if you're here today and you're trying to go through life all on your own, all of yourself, I don't need God, I don't need other people, all is not well in your life. I guarantee you. 
You need the Lord. And so God knows this. We're, we're set up for death. We're heading for death, inevitable death that we can't save ourselves from. But God steps in to our history. He sends his only son, Jesus Christ, into the world. Jesus lives a perfect, sinless life that we have failed to live. He dies on the cross in our place to pay for our sins. He didn't even have any sin of his own that needed to be paid for. He died for your sin and for mine. And he took on the full weight of God's wrath and judgment for sin, though he had no sin. And then Jesus was buried, but he rose from the grave. We already sang that earlier. Death could not keep him in the ground. He rose victoriously. He, he could not be contained. The power of God raises him to life. Victory is his. Vindication is his. He has defeated our greatest enemy. Jesus is alive right now. And he's ruling and reigning. And he's, yes, please. Here's, here's just a general rule. Anytime you want to clap for Jesus, I'm good with it, okay? That's my rule, okay? Anyway, Jesus is alive and well, ruling and reigning. He's inviting each one of us to trust in him, giving us an opportunity to confess him as our Lord and Savior and to repent of our sins and turn to him for newness of life and the promise of eternal life. If you haven't done that, you need to do that. It's not just something you enter into by accident. It's a conscious choice. You gotta do something. You got, anyway, come see me later if that's you. And at the end of all of this, Right When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, when we turn to him and repent of our sins and confess him as Lord and Savior, we're saved, we're forgiven, we're set free. We are made right with God. That's the whole problem in the whole story is we're not right with God. But Jesus makes us right with God through our faith in him. And now we receive the Holy Spirit and we receive citizenship in heaven and we become children of God and we receive his precious and great promises and we receive the gift of eternal life. That's what happens. This whole story lines right up with the gospel. And one day, Jesus is going to come back. And he is going to, yes, see, he got it. Clap for Jesus. You got it. Jesus is going to come back. And he is going to finally, authoritatively put this down and put this to a close. And the end of this age will come as Jesus comes back. That's what Daniel 7 is talking about. Right now in the world, things are a mess and there are false kings and false kingdoms and false rulers and false thrones, but the story ends with the true king on the rightful throne ruling and reigning as king of all kings. It's a good story and it's the story we're living in. You need to know if you are an enemy of Jesus today, AKA if you've never been saved, if you've never trusted in him, if you've never repented of your sins, if you've never acknowledged him as your Lord and Savior, the Bible would classify you as an enemy of God. You need to see in Daniel chapter seven, it's not gonna go well for you. God's enemies will be defeated. The Bible goes on to talk about how judgment awaits us too if we don't repent, if we don't turn to God, if we don't get on the right side of history, it's gonna catch us up in that. But believers in Jesus, friends, we're going to win. We're going to win. Because Jesus wins, we also win. We get to ride on his coattails, brothers and sisters. I don't mind that at all. Yes. Now, last thing, and we'll wrap this up. A couple of verses we didn't really deal with yet. You say, well, what will become of us? Well, I've sort of spoiled it already for you. But what will become of us through all this in Daniel chapter 7? Well, it depends entirely whether you belong to Jesus or not. I just said a minute ago, if you don't belong to Jesus, you are going to be caught up in the stuff that happens there. Judgment, condemnation, punishment, wrath await you. 
Don't stay there. Don't remain in that. Repent. Turn to the Lord Jesus. Come talk to us after. We'd love to talk to you about that. But if you're a Christian, most of us in the room are Christians, here's what's going to happen to you. The saints, that's you, of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. I love that it's repeated at the end, forever. And just in case you missed it, it's forever and it's ever. Forever. That's talking about us in the kingdom of God forever where all is right and all is well and all is new and all is good and all is restored. That's what's gonna happen to you. Look at this here. The ancient of days came and judgment was given for the saints. I love that. It's not given to the saints. If you belong to Jesus, you will not face the judgment. It was given for the saints, for your sake. Isn't that cool? And the time came when the, the saints then possessed the kingdom. You get to possess the kingdom. Hello, like there it is. Jesus is the king and we get to share in his kingdom. Good land. And then one more verse, verse 27. If you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. The kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven, that's everything, shall be given to the people of the saints of the most high. That's you, that's me. And his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. If you belong to Jesus, the way this ends for you is that you'll be sitting pretty. Give him some praise. Clap for Jesus. So, man, we went somewhere today. I told you. Now, this, this is the timeline that history is fixed upon. This is going to happen. It will take place. The question for you today is, are you ready? Are you ready? The world is bad. The world is going to get worse. Are you ready for that to happen? There is a king in heaven. His name is Jesus. He rules and reigns on a throne and we need to align ourselves with him. We need to get on the right side of history with him. There is judgment for you. If you do not and you don't repent, are you ready? Are you ready? And take heart. This is what we need to do because Jesus is going to win the war. He is clearly going to come out on top and the final victory that's foretold here we get to share in that as well here's my question are you excited yeah. Yeah. then let's pray